Welcome back to Basecamp. Now, we paused this podcast for the last uh, number of weeks as we were transitioning some various roles uh, with the church plant team headed out to Calgary and some stuff going on in the life of our of our church, but I want to jump back into this podcast and pick right back up where we left off in our last episode. And and then through the next few weeks, close out this discussion on being faithful stewards before we take a summer break. Now, if you remember, we have just spent the last couple of episodes on here discussing how God calls us to be good stewards, faithful stewards. Right, so, so a lot of our episodes, we're talking about how he's called us to be faithful stewards of the money that he has entrusted with us, that we would use it wisely, right? Which is why as Christians, we are called to financially provide for our families as, as well as to give financially to our local church so that, so that we might provide for our, our local church, for the pastors that are preaching and teaching and laboring among us, right? As we, as we saw in First Timothy, and also so that the nations might be glad when they hear the good news of the gospel through missionaries and church plant team members being sent out of us. And so we we spent a lot of time focusing on money and finances, as we rightly should, because it's one of the great ways that we have seen that we can be faithful stewards in, in really practical ways. But but all along we've we've also recognized, haven't we, that 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 God has called us to be stewards of other areas of our life as well. And so for the next two weeks, what we're gonna be doing is focusing on how God has has made us to be stewards of our time. And just as with money, stewarding our time can get uh, pretty countercultural. And uh, for you to know a little bit more about that, that's that's exactly what this episode series is about. So uh, let's let's dive into this discussion on on how how are we supposed to steward our time. Now, in, in the first episode series of this entire series, we, we talked about the shift that needs to happen in our thinking that, that Christians need to, to make in, in various realms of life, right? So, so for example, with finances, uh, while we might be tempted to believe that all of our money is, is ours and there's only a portion of it that we need to give back to God, what, what we learned is, is the reality that all of our money belongs to God. Thus, we are not the owners of our money. We're simply stewards over it, right? And and God expects us to be faithful stewards, and there are future rewards for us as we are faithful here in this life with all that God has given us financially. And so what I what I want us to see as well is that the same holds true about time, our time, right? So so, so we're we're used to thinking about this uh, maybe in the realm of money, right? So so you might think, well, I'm, I'm obligated to use some time working because I need to eat, right? So, so we might feel then obligated to spend some of our time in church because, well, we're Christians. But then maybe what's left over is me time and, and is, is mine to just spend however I want doing whatever I want. But, but the question of this episode is, is that true? Is, is just some of our time supposed to be for God and then the rest of my time is to be filled doing whatever I want? Now, now, because this episode is part of a podcast series, you might readily answer, well, uh, no, all of our time belongs to the Lord. I mean, he's given us time to steward as well. But, but is that how we actually view our schedules? See, it's, it's easy to say these things with our mouths or 
mentally is sent to them, isn't it? But, but actually living them out in our everyday lives, I mean, that's much more difficult, isn't it? But, it? but it's helpful to remember that every minute of our life is a trust that has been given to us from God. Every breath that he gives to us is a gift. I mean, remember the wide sweeping scope of what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. He wrote, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Now, contextually, Paul is talking about revelation from the Lord and why we ought not to be haughty or boastful in our knowledge or our spiritual growth. But, but from a wider perspective, isn't this also how we ought to view every single moment? That, that it's from the Lord and that everything that we have has been entrusted to us by him? Right? That everything comes down to us from the Father of lights, as we read in James 1.17. Thus, we ought to remember that every minute of our lives is a trust from God. However, before we start talking about what we ought to be doing with our time, let, let's spend a little time thinking, firstly, about the biblical command to rest, to rest with, with our time. Because many of us are incredibly busy people, right? Constantly filling our schedules to the max, utilizing every moment, redeeming the time, all of the time. In fact, how often do we ask one another when we see one another at church or somewhere else? Hey, we ask one another, oh, how was your week? And, and the response is usually, Busy. How's your week? Oh, busy. Right? All too often, but, but that, that's our answer. But, but is that the goal of life? Right? Is the goal of life to be busy? Is that what matters? Is that what, is that what makes us important, that we were busy that week? It makes me, me, me wonder if, that, if that's what we might think, that the goal is to be busy. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, some of us are so bogged down with FOMO, right? The fear of missing out that we fill our schedules with everything. Or, or maybe we have FOBO. Right, the fear of better options. And so we are always constantly busy or dropping things last minute because better options come around. Oftentimes we, we measure our lives though by busyness. So let, let's focus on what true rest is supposed to be. And, it, and it's here where, where the question comes up, who owns my time? Who owns my time? And that question really hits home as we remember that every minute that we have is a trust given to us from God, right? A stewardship from God. Him and, and that includes our rest. Now, now remembering that every moment belongs to God, th- then we, we also recognize that the purpose of rest isn't to finally do whatever we want, as if we're the owner. No, God's the owner and, and we rest for his purposes. But we might wonder, what are God's purposes for rest? What are God's purposes for rest? Why? For example, it's common to hear, well, the purpose of rest is to recharge us for the real work that God gives us. So we want to rest really well because we have real work that we need to go do. So the only reason to rest is to just recharge for all the real work that you're going to go do. But, but is that true? What's, what's wrong with that statement about rest? Well, well to begin, I mean, there's three that we can probably nail right out, the, right out of the gate. First, to begin... Rest is part of the real work that God has given us to do. Let me say that again. Rest is part of the work that God has called us to do. It's not we rest so that we go work, but, but, but rest is part of the real work that God gives us to do. Second, this statement is incomplete. Rest does way more than just recharge us. And then thirdly, it assumes that part of our time is separate from our stewardship, right? 
but really we know that all of our time is God's time. So the purpose of rest isn't just to recharge us for the real work that God gives us to do later on. It's part of the work. In fact, the role the Bible has for rest in in our lives is a lot more complex and more interesting and more satisfying and and way more God-exalting. So to get into it, I want us to start by walking through what the Bible says about rest. Then with that foundation in place, we'll look at the Bible's purposes for rest. And then finally, we'll, we'll finish it by just thinking through a little exercise together about a stewardship of rest. And I think this is really important for us as a church, especially in this rhythm of, of life. We're about to go into the rhythm of, of summer, and there's, there's the opportunity to have rest. And how do we rest well? And so that, that would be my hope, that as we walk into this next season of, of resting well of summer, as we're very busy, but also resting, you're going on vacation, you know, you come home and you're more tired than when you left, <laughs> but you can still be more restful. And so that's, that's one of my hopes is that as we walk into the next season, that we're able to be more restful and to really enjoy and work and, and care about the stewardship of rest together. So let's firstly, let's, <clears throat> let's turn to the example uh, of looking at the Bible's teaching on rest. Let's think about that. The Bible's teaching on rest. Now, if you're going to flip open your Bible somewhere to learn about rest, where do you think you would go? Where where would you turn to? What immediately comes to mind? Right, maybe Sabbath passages and the giving of the Ten Commandments, or maybe to Hebrews about how true rest comes in the gospel. Well, surprisingly, the Bible first mentions rest right at the beginning in Genesis chapters uh, Genesis chapter two, verses one to three. Right? If you remember, God completes His creation, and then we read. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from, his, from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So, so in looking at that, what are we to make of that? What are we to make of it? Well, one thing to notice is that the seventh day of creation was different than the first six. If we were to, to read through, we'd notice that on the seventh day, God rested. So what does that mean? Well, well, it can't mean that he ceased involvement with his creation. I mean, if God were to stop thinking about us, even for a moment, we would turn back to dust. And, and everything depends on God's constant providential care. It, Jesus even says, John chapter 5, verse 17, my father is working until now and I am working. And he's talking about on the Sabbath. So, so it doesn't mean that God kicked back and watched Netflix all day. That's not what the Sabbath was. Uh, Rather, it seems that God stopped from his creative work that day, leading us to simply note that rest doesn't always mean a cessation of all activity. Rest doesn't always mean a cessation of all activity. It, it, It can sometimes refer to ceasing from doing a specific activity, but it doesn't mean that we don't do anything at all. And a second thing to notice here is that this rest has no end, right? Notice the first six days all had an end, right? So for example, Genesis chapter one, verse 31 says, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. There was evening and there was morning the sixth day. But notice that no evening is ever mentioned for the seventh day. Did you you notice that? It seems that the day of God's rest is a day without end. So so God's rest is something that's continuing and lasting and, and, and some sort of very important way. Now, after Genesis chapter 2, the next major appearance of rest in the Bible is in the book of Exodus. Here, we remember from our study through Exodus last year that God introduces us to the idea of Sabbath 
rest, right? The Hebrew word sabbat for Sabbath means it means to, to stop or to cease. Now, we normally think of a Sabbath rest as something that happens once a week. But the seventh year of the week wasn't the, uh, sorry, the seventh day of the week wasn't the only Sabbath one for Israel. Uh, for example, Leviticus 16.31 calls the Day of Atonement a Sabbath rest. And then there was supposed to be a Sabbath year in Leviticus chapter 25. But, but why was the Sabbath important, we might wonder? What's well, interesting to note that each time the Ten Commandments are listed in Scripture, a different reason for the Sabbath is given. Did you, did you notice that? In Exodus 20, God tells his people to keep the Sabbath because in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So Israel was to keep Sabbath because God rested in creation. Then in Deuteronomy chapter 5, where the law is given a second time, God says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So here, Israel was to keep the Sabbath because it has also reminded them that God delivered them from their slavery in Egypt. In fact, in delivering Israel from their slavery, he had given them the promised land. The promised land was also seen as a kind of rest rest from their enemies. And Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 9 says, for you, ha- for you have not as yet come to the rest and to the inheritance that the Lord your God is giving you. Right? So the rest and the inheritance is referred to as, as Canaan. And, but here's the thing with all this. None of these reasons given for resting on the Sabbath is meant to be a ceasing of activity. Instead, they were about stopping one kind of work to engage in another stopping one kind of work to engage in another. They're to stop their daily work to worship and enjoy God for who he is and what he's done. Right? Israel was to rest from their work on the Sabbath, but if they laid around in bed all day, then they didn't fulfill the observance of the Sabbath. So, so Israel was to gather together on the Sabbath. We see that in Leviticus 23.3. Uh, and also Psalm uh, 92 was a song that was to be sung on the Sabbath. It, it praised and celebrated God as faithful and holy and remembered his works of creation and deliverance. And, and God blessed those who observed his Sabbath. We see that in Isaiah 56.2. And this idea that rest is all about increasing our joy in God just continues to build as we move from the Bible. That's, that's kind of what, what's in view there, right? There, there's something about God's plan for his people, which isn't just about physical rest from labor, but about entering into his rest, right? In, in Psalm 95, hence at this, re- reflecting on, on the rebellion of Israel in the desert, the psalmist concludes, Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And then to further explain this, the author of Hebrews quotes Psalm 95, right? Hebrews 3 and 4 show that the whole reason that the first generation of Israel didn't enter into the promised land was because of their unbelief. And even if they had entered the promised land, that land itself never fully encompassed God's rest. Hebrews 4, 8 says, For if Joshua had given them rest... God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. Isn't that interesting? The promised land wasn't the ultimate rest that God intends to give his people. It's like a little glimpse. Neither was the earthly celebration of God on a Sabbath day. 
No, the rest that God finally intends for his people is the rest of faith. It's the rest of faith. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Isn't that fascinating? It's through faith that we rely on Christ's work instead of our own. That's central to the gospel message, isn't it? It's, it's amazing to, how, to see how, how this, this simple concept of rest is developed through the Bible until it becomes the core of the gospel. And this rest is obtained now, and it will be fully realized in the future. Right, so Hebrews 4.3 says, For we who have believed enter that rest. Right, we, we, as Christians, we come to know this rest of security and peace right now through a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But, but then a couple of verses later, Hebrews 4.11 says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. So we work hard today resting on Christ's finished work so that we can enjoy God's rest in the heaven, having perfect harmony with him. As Christians, we're future heirs of this promised rest, but in the present, we live by faith in light of that rest. So if we're still awaiting a future rest, then we'd expect to find this concept of rest in Revelation, right? The book of Revelation and we do. Revelation chapter 14, verse 11 talks about those in eternal torment. And this is what it says about them. Those who, who are suffering under the righteous judgment of God for all of eternity future. This is what it says about them. Revelation 14, 11. They have no rest. No rest. Isn't that interesting? Just pause on that for a moment. They have no rest. Day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. But, but then two verses later, we see that those who die in the Lord, they are blessed with rest. We, we read, blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Isn't that fascinating? So that there's this theme of rest from Genesis all the way through Revelation. Now, at this point, you might be thinking that the biblical idea of rest sounds great, but also exhausting. <laughs> right? We, we rest from one activity only to engage in another. Like, like that might be really great if you're a type A personality, but for all the rest of us, uh, it doesn't, that doesn't sound great. Well, there's one more theme in Scripture that we need to look at before getting into some kind of application into our lives, and, and, and it's this. It's the theme of physical rest. See, as, as we just saw, when we rest, we imitate God, who also rested. And in doing so, we participate with God and share a similarity. But the theme of physical rest in our own lives also involves sleep, right? So, so then it's, that's very different. Us and God are very different. You see, sleep emphasizes one of these huge differences of a communicable attribute between us and God. Right? It, it, sleep is, is, is one way that demonstrates that we are very much not God, right? So we know that God doesn't sleep, right? The psalmist says in Psalm 121.4, Behold, God who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. And in blatant contrast to that, we need sleep, right? Some of us require a little sleep, others of us much more sleep. 
maybe different parts of our lives. We need a lot or a little, right? Psalm 4, 8 says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. When we sleep, we, we make evident our dependence on God. Right? We, we can sleep well because we know that God is trustworthy. And at the end of the day, our security isn't found in our circumstances. We, we trust that as we sleep, God will sustain us and watch over us until we wake again. It reminds me of when uh, my first son was born, how that night as in the in the hospital room trying to desperately to fall asleep and I, I was just overcome with fear that I would fall asleep and while I was sleeping, my son would just quit breathing and die. And I, I, I just was so anxious. I just kept staring at him and staring at him and, and I had been up for way too long and finally my body just caught up with me and I'm laying there trying to fall asleep and I'm just anxious. And then in that moment, I just cry out to the Lord and thank Him that although I need to sleep, that I can have trust and confidence that He doesn't sleep or slumber. And so I asked Him to take care of my son and I went to sleep, trusting that as I slept, God would sustain His little life and watch over Him until I can wake up again. It's one of those beautiful things that reminds us that we are not the Lord. And not only that, we, we also see in, in God's word, uh, even Jesus, right, encourages his followers to get rest. In Mark 6.31, the apostles, uh, they return from their first ministry journey. And this is what Jesus says to them. He says, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. This kind of human physical rest that's needed to recover is a good and a godly thing. Any of you who've run a marathon or triathlon know that. Right? God knows our frame and our weakness, and he mercifully gives us a respite so that we can, once again, have the energy to engage in his work. So then what are our, our main takeaways then from this study of, of rest? Well, let me give you three. First, rest in the Bible is mainly about having a right relationship with God and being reconciled to him through your faith in Jesus. Right? If we persist in unbelief, God's wrath rests on us in judgment. But if we have faith in Jesus, if we live by faith in Jesus, God's spirit rests on us in blessing. 1 Peter 4.14. See, it'd be, it'd be wrong to think that the Sabbath and God's rest are mainly about us and our own rest. No, rather, they're pointing to the ultimate rest that we enjoy in heaven when we finally enter into God's rest. Second, rest in the Bible isn't merely a ceasing of activity, but ceasing of one activity so we can do another, namely enjoying God and his goodness. So for example, when we enter into heaven, we'll rest from our difficult labor in this fallen world only to move on to joyfully laboring in the presence of God, but without all the curse of thorns and thistles. We're, we're not just going to be sitting on a cloud as the world pictures it, but rather heaven is a place full of activity. We'll praise God with our words, Revelation 15. We'll also praise him with our work. Isaiah 65, 21 to 22 describes heaven as a place where they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. Thirdly, rest in the Bible shows us more of who God is and who we are. We need physical rest to recover and rejuvenate, even as we sleep. 
But we remember that God never sleeps. While God is independent of all things, all things are dependent on God, including us. Now let's, let's shift gears and talk for a moment about the purpose of rest. Now as we begin to apply this into ourselves, we need to remember a couple of truths from earlier in this episode series that are central to all that we've been talking about, right? So first is that God owns everything, right? The time you spent sleeping last night belonged to Him. The time that you'll spend playing some silly game on your phone this afternoon or playing with your children or tending a garden, all of that belongs to Him. And then second, that we are his stewards, right? One day we'll give an account to God for all that he's entrusted us with, and that includes our time, right? So Ephesians 5.16 tells us to make the best use of the time because the days are evil. So, so in thinking about God's purpose for rest, how does rest help us make the best use of the time? Well, firstly, rest helps us recover from our labor, right? We, we rest as a way to recharge. Yes and amen. That's why sleep is so helpful, right? During sleep, our minds process all the information we received during the day, storing it and consolidating some memories. Our bodies are then restored and rejuvenated as tissue is repaired and muscles grow. As we saw earlier, that's a huge difference between us and God. We need to rest to recover from work, but, but he never does. So that's one way rest helps us recover from labor. Secondly, rest shows our dependence on God. See, resting shows that God doesn't need us to always work. <laughs> Did you catch that? God doesn't always need us to always work. Believe it or not, he can manage things just fine without us. In fact, he is God. Right? God accomplishes far more by himself than we ever can. And rest glories in that truth. It shows that we trust his wisdom and the constraints that he's given us. See, our limitations are actually a gift from God. Right? Limitations keep us from becoming self-reliant. They, they teach us to look to God for our strength. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 28 to 31 says, God does not faint or grow weary. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. See, there are many people in this world who rest too easily. But but our city, our church is full of people who are exactly the opposite. And in fact, many of us resent our need for rest, and we've been taught that rest is, in fact, sinful. So we try to burn the candle from both ends to level up and be better, trying to accomplish more than is humanly possible in a day. To the end, that it's it's only with great reluctance that we stumble into bed each evening. And if you're like that, I encourage you to think differently about rest. Instead of focusing on what rest does to your productivity, you should think more about what your rest says about God. Instead of fighting against your need to rest, enjoy it as a daily reminder that you are not God. Besides, only God gets, gets to his to-do list and, and gets it done every single day. <laughs> it's, it's important to note that in the Bible, the opposite of rest isn't work. The opposite of rest is restlessness. It's worry, anxiety, and ultimately, self-righteousness. So when we begin to joyfully accept the limitations that God's built into us, it shows that we trust him. It doesn't all depend on me, and praise God for that. And as we collapse into bed at the end of each day, our fatigue can be a good reminder that God doesn't need us to carry out his plans. He's not not like, oh man, thank God for Joe. Thank God for Susie, right? I could never have gotten that done if it wasn't for them. No, instead, God takes pleasure in how our work has shown off what he's done in us by his spirit. 
See, God receives the glory, but he gives us the privilege and joy as his stewards to participate in his sovereign purposes. In, in this glorious take-your-kid-to-work day, you know, where we get to work alongside of, of God. And oftentimes, if you've ever been to take-your-kid-to-work day or had a child in the office, less, you think, gets done on that day. And yet God delights that we, as his kids, are participating with him in his work, and he loves to work in and through us for his glory. It's this great privilege and joy as his sons and daughters to participate in his work and in his purposes. Thirdly, rest encourages us to enjoy God. Rest helps us delight in the goodness of God, that he is God. I mean, that's what we do on Sundays, isn't it? Like we set aside time from our daily work schedules to engage in the work of corporate worship. And we remind ourselves of God's truth and our spirits are encouraged as we meet together in fellowship. But there's other ways as well to enjoy God in our rest. Like in the same way that we use money to enjoy God's creation, we can do the same thing with leisure, our free time. We can glorify God through our resting. Let's go back to a verse that we've referenced quite a few times in this episode series. 1 Timothy 4.4 says, For everything created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it's made holy by the word of God and prayer. You see that? Nothing is to be rejected. And 1 Timothy 6.18 goes further and says it's to be enjoyed. As long as we remember that creation is to be a conduit to the creator, not the other way around. See, in our rest, we can delight in the goodness of God's creation. And as we do, our hearts swell with thanksgiving. And we delight in the goodness of our creator. That's how one particular form of, of rest, our, our leisure, which we often think of as self-serving, can actually be worship. A, a walk in the woods or, or a trip to an art museum or a fun conversation or a sporting event can be worship. These can be an opportunity to discover and celebrate the goodness of God who made them. Fourthly, rest helps build relationships with others. See, good stewardship in God's sight is heavily invested in relationships. So money is inherently relational, either by how we use it or how uh, or whom we transact with. Likewise, health is essential to serving others. Well, in the same way, our time is also required for building relationships with others. And so one key purpose for rest and leisure is to serve relationships, those around us. After all, the Sabbath rest of the Old Testament was a communal activity, not an individual one. And the same will be true for rest in heaven. So it's important to see the enjoyment and strengthening of relationships as one of God's purposes for rest. That through rest, you can build a relationship with men and women of our church. You can check in on one another, have a barbecue together, spend time together as God's people. And perhaps you've not thought about rest and leisure in this way before, that it can have this God-honoring purpose. Now, no doubt a leisure activity can be sinful, right? Such as getting drunk. But any leisure activity that's not sinful can have a God-honoring purpose. But that doesn't mean it's the best stewardship of our time. So to, to evaluate our activity, we need to ask two big questions. Firstly, are there areas where this activity is leading me into sin, even if the activity itself isn't sinful? So, for example, think about watching a particular TV show that, that might leave you just feeling discontent. Is that a good idea? Does that lead you to sin? Is it a good idea to do on your Sabbath? Or maybe taking a, a long hike that, that keeps you from spending much needed time with your, your spouse or your kids or people from your small group or people you're discipling. Or maybe wasting hours on social media, on YouTube, 
when you could be looking to find a job to support yourself. See, none of these activities are morally bad in themselves, but, but given the, the circumstances, they could be a conduit to sin rather than to God. And the second big question you ask yourself is, is this activity the most God-glorifying way to steward my time? As we saw in the parable of the talents, the very first episode, our job as stewards is to make the most of the opportunities that God gives to us. That means looking across uh, at, at all of our, our money, our time, our energy, our skills, our relationships, and determining what combination of investment will best honor God with our lives. Right? We're, we're called to give our whole selves to God, not, not just our money, not just our time, or any other single resource, but all of our lives. Right? So, so, so spending... 10 grand to, 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 go, to go hella skiing in the Himalayas. Actually, it probably costs much more than that, but let's just say it was 10 grand. That can be a legitimate activity that can bring glory to God. And it may be the best use of that time and money, but I need to compare it across all other ways to invest that time and money before I decide that's the direction that I'm gonna take. And when I do that, my metric for comparing different options is faithfulness. Right? I mean, to what extent am I using the opportunities God's given me to show off his faithfulness, goodness, and love. You know, when thinking about that, about, about even money and time, you know, one of the best uses of, of your time, specifically talking to you men uh, from our church, you know, one of the best uses of your time and your money this summer will be for you to take a little vacation with your family. Now, there, there might be uh, other things you'd rather do with the time and the money in order to do that. But, but I would encourage you, book the time off, plan the vacation, spend the money, do the things with your family. Now, don't go into debt to do it, but whatever it looks like for you to be able to take some time and to spend some money to do that vacation, to do that thing with your family, do it. You know, oftentimes what we, what we usually see statistically is that it's uh, our wives that usually are the ones that say, hey, maybe we should go on a family vacation this year. Brothers, don't let that be the case. You be the one that says, hey, let's go on a family vacation. I'm thinking about, let's do this. What are your thoughts? Can we plan this? Can we do this? Can we save a little bit? Can I work maybe an extra shift for the next two or three weeks so we can have some extra money? Can, can I maybe work like an extra hour here, an hour there? Can I sell some stuff on Facebook Marketplace because we have way too much junk around our house and use that money in order to go get a, get a hotel or go rent a cabin or do something fun together as a family. But spend some time together as a family this summer. Find intentional ways that you're resting and glorifying and enjoying God in and through resting and spending time with your family. Now, to, to conclude this episode, though, I, I want to sort of walk through an example of what stewardship and rest might look like. So here's the situation. Let's say you have a free Saturday afternoon. Now, what are you going to do? The lawn has already been mowed. Everything is already taken care of. But what are you going to do? It's a free Saturday afternoon. What are you going to do? And now, you, you, could, you could go uh, maybe to serve as a counselor at a crisis pregnancy center. Maybe you could take some food to the homeless. You could do some things like that. Or you could go to a Gold Eyes game. You're like, well, maybe I could do this. Maybe I could do that. I, I don't know. I, I kind of... I kind of want to go to a gold eyes game. Well, well, I wanted to, to think through, because those others are probably easier for you to see uh, how that would be a good stewardship of your time. I want you to also see 
how it could be a good stewardship of your time to go to a Gold Eyes game. So <clears throat> here you go if you're, if you're wondering, is it godly to go to a Gold Eyes game? So it could help recharge your mind and body after a tiring week. It could be necessary to build some relationships as you invite some friends, some coworkers, your family. It could bring you great joy to be outside eating a hot dog and nachos for the glory of God, of course. And it makes you more mindful of God and of rest. So that may be why it's a good idea to go to a Gold Eyes game. But the follow-up question is a bit harder, and it's this. How might going to the Gold Eyes game uh, for the stewardship purposes that we just articulated, how, how might it look differently from an unbeliever of how they might just ordinarily enjoy a baseball game? Well, two, two things. It, it might not look different on the outside at all. That's first thing to note. But then secondly, it, it could maybe only be seen at the heart level, that, that you are there striving to recharge your, your mind and your body, to build relationships, to bring great joy to you and to glorify God as you're thanking God for the greatness of gold eyes. Uh, hopefully as they're winning that game that they are in. And so though it might not look super different on the outside, or maybe even as your family goes on that vacation, how does your family vacation look different than the vacation of another family that doesn't honor Christ? On the service level, it might look the same, but, but at a heart level, it might look drastically different. So I wanted to just ask you to, to explore that maybe even in your own heart and life and think about as you're spending this summer resting and thinking about rest, how can you glorify God in the midst of that? So in closing on this episode, I want us to remember 1 Corinthians 10 31, which says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And thanks for tuning in this episode of Base Camp. And thanks again to the wonderful folks at Capitol Hill Baptist Church for their uh, great help in letting us use a lot of the bones and the meat of this, of this uh, episode uh, so that we can better equip our people as a church to know what rest is and how rest glorifies God. Until next week.